Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter, the What is Public Health episode. Um, hello to my my co-host, Clarence, Clarence Jones. Thank you to uh, Human Partnership for helping us to do all of the work and everything that's involved in it. And imagine that, but we have three great um, behind-the-scenes people that uh, help us with our our broadcast. Uh, Matthew Campbell, thank you to you. Aaron Collins and, and Maddie Levine Wolf. I uh, both Clarence and I greatly appreciate, really greatly appreciate your um, your assistance in helping us make this successful. Today, um, we're going to be looking at um, what is public health, and we are able to get um, an esteemed colleague of mine. Well, boy, John, I don't know how long we've known each other, but uh, it's been a while, and uh, it's been great all these years. So um, Dr. John Finnegan, uh, professor and um, former, just recently former, Dean of the uh, the School of Public Health at the uh, the University of Minnesota, and was in that capacity for 17, 18 years. John, is that correct? That's right. Yep, I joined the faculty uh, back in uh, 1986. Although I worked in the School of Public Health since uh, July 1st of 1980. Wow, so it's and, even uh, longer. Wow, long time, and um, you know, managed to uh, work my way up the feeding chain, shall we say? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, there was a national um, national search for dean, and I managed to. Uh, be the last man standing, so to yeah, speak. So, yeah, and no. here we are, all this time, seventeen years later, and wow. retirement is here. Right, and uh, and you look good. You're glowing. Oh, thank you so much. And you know, I uh, just want to say qu quickly insert here. I'm I'm also glad that uh, Dean Finnegan is here and uh, talking about a topic that when we first started the Health Chatter podcast, we thought it was one of the most important topics to talk about based on our own personal experiences and based on things that we were uh, seeing and hearing in, in the public domain, uh, what is public health? And uh, so we were really excited to have you come. And so we got all these questions for you. <laughs> Thank you, Clarence. Yes, yeah, since you're retired, you can answer them. Uh, and uh, that's what we're looking for. We're just looking for some conversations about this particular topic and then how do we engage community in the work. Sounds good. Should we get it underway? Yeah, let's, let's do it. So, okay, you know, all of us are linked to public health one way or or the other, um, either as, as students or as professionals of all these years. And um, there, there seems to be an ongoing question is what really is public health? And what are the core values that, that underlie it? So John, what, what's your sense on that? Oh boy, uh, that is a, a great question, and it is uh, uh, one that is constantly changing. The answer to that question is constantly changing, but um, I'll give you what I think are are some basics. And um, you know, the first issue I want to give is is talk about values, 
And in my view, when we come to public health, and let me just say at the outset, public health, in my view, is really about the big picture of what it is that creates and supports health. And uh, we used to think of that as, as just humans, but actually now we understand that there's a much bigger, more complex picture. So I would say the values that really drive those of us in public health, and, and really these are sort of principles that you, you absolutely need, um, is trust. You need to be trustworthy. I think you need to be evidence-informed uh, uh, um, and uh, evidence-based. I think you need to be driven by the concepts of equity. That's a huge value that, that we uh, desperately need to see improvement in in this country and in the rest of the world, too. I think public health as a value uh, has to be participatory. And uh, it has to involve the populations and the communities that it is serving. And so I, I start with that, that set of values. Uh, we can go into much greater detail. But as far as a definition, I mean, coming out of those values, you know, what is public health? Lots and lots of people really try to take a shot at that. But I think one of the best uh, uh, answers to that is uh, something that uh, Dr. Charles Winslow came up way back in 1920, and I think it's still uh, incredibly important to us and relevant to us today. And what he called public health was the science and the art of preventing disease, prolonging life, and promoting human health and well-being through organized efforts and informed choices of society, public and private organizations, communities, and individuals. Now, that's not, you know, in uh, 20 words or less, perhaps, but I do think that it really uh, very much encapsulates the uh, key and important parts of what public health is. And what I think that is, is organized efforts, uh, informed choices, public and private uh, sectors and communities and individuals all working together to to do that. And that's why I say the values that we talked about, trustworthiness, participation, mm -hmm. and so forth, are extraordinarily important to what we do in public health. You know, Dean, I want to say something real quick. Um, and I'm going to take the community perspective here, okay? So uh, that's, that's my job. Um, I love what you said in terms of the, uh, of how you define public health. But it seems like today that the public has seemed to have lost that trust in public health. And so can you tell me, why do you think it's being minimized? Those things that you talked about as value, why do you think people are struggling with it? Yeah, that's uh, that certainly is uh, something that we've seen a lot more of in the last couple of years. And uh, with the uh, onset of COVID, and I think also with the murder of George Floyd and a uh, re-energizing of the challenges that we have in this country of dealing with structural racism. I also think climate change is another aspect of that. Um, I, I have to say that I think a lot of it really has to do with communication. And uh, if I were to look at one area where I think public health has 
uh, tripped over itself, I would say, certainly in the last few years, it's been in the area of communication. Um, I um, Communication is now, by the way, become a, a central part of what we teach uh, in the area of uh, training new people working in public health. But uh, um, I think the communication piece is, is really important for several reasons. One is we don't do a very good job. Uh, I think we've taken for granted that, oh, we're public health, you know, we're on the right side, we're righteous and so forth. And uh, we've taken for granted that lots of people want to want a culture of public health in the country. Um, but in fact, I think we've lost some trust uh, in a variety of different ways. We really haven't done a, as good a job as we need to in educating people about what public health is. Mm -hmm. I mean, in some ways, we're struck by the paradox of invisibility. When everything's yeah. fine and not too many disasters are going on, uh, we don't think about it. But when public health is there, front and center and so forth, it's usually because something big happened and right. you know we right. failed to anticipate it so that just a few observations about that and we have a lot of work to do obviously to turn that around thank you for your response you know um john you mentioned um public health is is involved with big picture a lot of big picture you know it's almost it's almost easier just to to answer the question what isn't public health <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, as far as the the various different things that we deal with on, on, a, on a daily basis, like, you know, you could say poverty and you could say climate and you could say COVID and you could say cardiovascular disease and you could say all the chronic diseases, all the infectious diseases. We could we could talk about um, looking at restaurants and making sure they're safe and looking at water and making sure they're safe. I mean, it goes on and on mm -hmm. and perhaps on. And so the, the thing is, I remember distinctly a um, good colleague of ours, Dr. Ed Ellinger, who, who really advocated for the idea of health in all policies literally in everything that we are involved with as humans it doesn't matter where you're coming from what community you're involved with what population there's health in everything that that we do and i think i think public health tries to embrace that to communicate it i think is more is more difficult to your point yeah, I, I agree with you very much. Um, that concept of health and all policies actually came out of the uh, European Union in 2006, Correct. I believe. Correct, yeah. And uh, I think it, the president of Finland, if I remember correctly, was the, the uh, individual who first articulated that uh, uh, with the European Union. And that really, that really took off. That becomes mm -hmm. extremely important. What's behind that? Well, it's a recognition, and, and I think it's taking another step uh, toward recognizing the issue of social determinants. So if you remember your public health history uh, back when the World Health Organization was uh, founded back in 1946, along with the United Nations, uh, that uh, preamble basically to the WHO uh, constitution said health is a state of complete physical and mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. 
And I think that's extremely uh, important um, to where we are today in terms of uh, recognizing that so much of what determines our health is not medical care, but it's really the larger social and economic factors. So, I mean, here's the basic proposition. Determinants of health are upstream from where most clinical medical care is done. I, I like to think of it as a, a river running down to a waterfall and, and so forth. And when, when we look at uh, where medicine mostly practices, it's much more in the downstream uh, areas, although they do go upstream. They do preventive medicine and they certainly do uh, uh, chronic disease management and things like that. But when you look at the percentage of factors and their uh, impact on uh, human health, animal health, and so forth, what you find is that clinical care is about 10%, health behaviors are about 30%, social and economic factors, and this is really the social determinants way upstream, are 40% of what affects and shapes our health and our wellness. And the other 20% would be in genes and our biology, 10% or so, and physical environment we live in is another 10% or so. And that becomes extraordinarily important because if you're really going to make change in uh, population health and wellness and the, and the life of communities and so forth, you've really got to go upstream and you got to look at employment or unemployment. You got to look at water. You have to look at housing and healthcare services and living and working conditions and the work environment and education. And you've got to look at food and agricultural production and so forth. And that's where we get into the whole issue of social and community networks. Um, and to me, that's where public health should be spending more and more of its time is in trying to change those upstream things through policy strategies, building partnerships with communities and so forth. Yeah, I, I agree. Clarence. I love that answer again. Love that answer again. I was going to ask you about that whole issue around invisibility of public health. And you you answered that very well in terms of how do we move it upstream? Because I, I wanted to know how do we as practitioners do that, you know? What is our what is our role? What is our responsibility to do that? I think many times, uh, I, I think many times when I when I'm talking to uh, individuals in the community, it, it, it's just like we just get the work done. But but there are some things that uh, we needed to to do as practitioners in order to make sure that people really understood what was going on. So I like the whole idea about you're talking about moving it. Uh, from invisibility to actual action, and oh, that's yeah. yeah, and that's what I'm hoping that with these young young students here, I'm saying young because Stan and I are both seasoned, uh, <laughs> that they also understand how important they are to the conversation. You know, it's it's more than just doing the study. It's also how do we disseminate it? How do we engage people in it? And then how do we uh, help people to to feel like they can enter into the conversation? Absolutely. And, um, you know, and that gets us into the concept of essential public health services. And, um, you know, it, there's three large areas that we are um, concerned about uh, that we try to teach uh, folks moving into the workforce and that the current workforce tries to practice. And the three large areas are in assessment. 
Um, mm -hmm. And uh, policy development is the second one. And assurance is really the third one. So when we talk about assessment, we're talking about data. We're talking about building the science, building the, the population information, building uh, the root causes, if you will, of, of uh, illness and so on. You move into policy development because I think you have to do two things there. One is you got to communicate the urgency and the nature of the public health challenges that we uh, face every day. Um, we have to uh, talk about what policies we need in order to undo those things. And we can't undo them with just uh, uh, working with government public health. I mean, in my view, almost every institution in society has an obligation toward public health in some way, shape, or form. Government is really important. I, I, I absolutely don't deny that. But we got to talk with health care delivery systems. We've got to work with NGOs and community-based organizations and universities. Those of us that work in academic public health, for example, are an important part of the system. And sometimes we haven't viewed ourselves in that sense that we are part of that public health system writ large. Um, I would also argue the media are extraordinarily important, and that includes social media, and we can talk about some of the up and downsides of all of that. Private sector and industry absolutely have an obligation to public health in a variety of areas and other professions. Um, you know, we when you think back on public health going way back to the days of Jon Snow and the London of 1850s and so forth, um, you know, that was a time when they were trying to really do sanitation, build sewers, uh, clean water and everything else. And guess what? Public health coming out of folks like Jon Snow worked with engineers. It was engineers and public health that originally got together to make cities more livable, if you will. And in different ways, we have the same kind of things going on right now. That's why I say when we talk about this, it has to be about building partnerships, really strong partnerships, because the challenges that we face today, I think, are even more complex than many have been in the past. And as we know with public health, um, if you don't pay attention to the challenges that we have, um, if you just go with the challenge du jour and you're not really focusing on the much bigger picture, public health issues come back to bite you. And I think we see a variety of areas. You know, um, what's really interesting is how certainly in what I have seen over the, over the years is how we have tried to cross the bridge between or link the bridge between public health and medicine. And I think we're seeing more of that now. I think it, it lends itself to the ideas of um, the kind of the confusion of the, what I call the circle of, of prevention of that primary, secondary and tertiary prevention where after somebody has an event, such as a heart attack or a stroke or whatever, what do we do to prevent another episode? And that's where we start seeing the avenues of medicine and public health coming together. But in order to do it, 
effectively given all the complex issues that we're faced with today you you hit the nail on the head john it really really requires partnerships one other thought here is i've i've often asked at the uh, at the health department what is it that we should be responsible for in order to address the health needs of the citizens of the state of minnesota and i put the word citizens in quotes that's everybody right that's i don't care what color skin you are or what kind of background you come that's everybody and you know what for all the professionals that are at the health department that's a hard question for them to answer yeah I, I think you uh, put your finger on a couple of issues. Um, I, I uh, often get asked that question from from folks not familiar with uh, public health. You know, well, well, you know, is this is this part of medicine? Well, actually, medicine is part of public health. Right. <laughs> right. Um, what I say is that that uh, medicine and public health absolutely share the goals of disease prevention and health promotion, uh, health and wellness. But there's a difference in in where we do that work primarily. So, you know, medicine does tend to focus on individuals, often as they present with symptoms, and you try to understand, and then you try to prevent or treat the causes of those particular uh, uh, symptoms. Um, and public health tends to work upstream from where medicine is, and really tries to go up to see where those root causes are that really shape our populations and our community's health, and even up to the level of societies and systems and environment and nations. Now, you know, do people in medicine care about those things? Absolutely, they do. And um, I think that we, you know, in the U.S., for historic reasons I won't go into, but there's been this tension, if you will, between allopathic medicine and public health, you know, going back to the late 19th century. But I think where we are right now is much better and greater collaboration between uh, medicine and public health in some of these areas. And medicine certainly is seeing the value of working upstream. And I give you one example of, uh, of a uh, movement, if you will, that's out there and is actually uh, doing some very good things. This is called the Practical Playbook uh, uh, movement, if you will, Practical Playbook. This involved the CDC, the De Beaumont Foundation in Washington, D.C., and Duke University, and in particular, Dr. Lloyd Michener, who's uh, trained both in medicine and public health. He's head of family medicine at Duke University. And he really put together a coalition uh, uh, funded by these, these three groups and brought together people who are in the public health realm and people who are in primarily uh, primary care. And uh, we have a lot in common when it comes to working together. So uh, there are two books out. One is uh, Practical Playbook 1, and the other one is Practical Playbook 2. And what I like especially about Practical Playbook 2 is that it gives you all kinds of really in-depth case studies of public health and uh, primary care 
working together, but in the context of both public and private sector organizations. Now that's really an expansion. So it's not just medicine and public health, but it's working with companies, it's working with schools, it's working with all kinds of institutions. So all of that, I think actually bodes um, very well, uh, despite the challenges that we've seen with uh, uh, COVID here over the last couple of years, which has really shown us the flaws that exist in our public health system in this country and in other places in the world. You know, Stan, I, I like I like your statement when you originally you were talking. You said, "But," and I thought, like, oh, this is this is my chance to jump in here because as a community member, you know, I would love to see more of that of that overlap with that that merging together with. Uh, Public health and the and the medical field. I used to when I go out to the community, I always talk about the, this huge division of biomedical versus public health, and it was important for me to to see or to work with with organizations that that really understood that connection. I think it's something you know, uh, Dean. You talked about this, but I think there's there's more communication that needs to occur because I think that from from my perspective. You know, I need to to learn more about the things that you're talking about because I don't necessarily see that all the time. So I just wanna I wanna put that out there. I'm, you know, I'm not a I'm not a, a troublemaker or drama or drama queen. I'm just saying. I just uh, want to talk. I I couldn't agree more, Clarence. I I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done in this particular area. I mean, we see that even in the academic world as well, where. Uh, um, public health and medicine um, uh, trying to collaborate in a in a better way, certainly right here in Minnesota and so forth, uh, because we do share so much. You know, uh, when I look around, I mean, I look at uh, uh, what, you know, organizations you've been associated with on the South Side have done. I look at North Point Clinic. Uh, these are, you know, this kind of work is really, it, first of all, it's involving the community. It's involving the grassroots of the community. It's not just coming in with a bunch of experts and then doing to the community or in the community. It's really engaging people because communities, I would say, generally know best what the challenges are and the issues are. And so um, I know that in the area of public health, I, this goes back to my early days um, in the school, I learned from a whole bunch of people in the community, as well as from some more senior faculty members, the importance of not coming into a community, you know, all puffed up uh, that you're the expert and you have all the answers, but on the contrary, coming in from a learning perspective, working with the community um, and uh, uh, creating that kind of participatory environment out of which with an even Steven uh, partnership with members of the community and with people who can bring resources to that community, really innovative ideas can happen and you can see improvements in community health. But that's something we've not always been very good at. And it's also something that you need to keep paying close attention to in the long run. You know, John, you mentioned or alluded to the, um, the concept of, of soup du jour. And in, in many ways, um, well, these years, public health 
has a tendency to um, follow the pendulum where the soup du jour is. So what's what's the topic of the day? And, and obviously then connected to that is where funding streams go. So you can almost anticipate that a lot of funding will be in the in the COVID arena. All right. Well, back a little ways, it was the obesity arena. And before that, it was drugs. Or before that, it was family violence, HIV. Okay, there's always like a, a, um, a soup du jour that really is pulling on the, the public health pendulum. And professionally, everybody tries to get on that pendulum and try to make the connection to the subject that they hold near and dear. Okay, so for instance, you take one, cardiovascular and COVID, or diabetes and COVID, okay, because the funding stream is going there. So I just wonder if you could, you know, maybe comment on how truly funding really kind of affects our ability to, to be effective in the public health arena. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll, I'll just start out by making it clear that um, uh, we have so badly underinvested in public health in the United States. I mean, it's, it's shameful. No kidding. <laughs> it's shameful. And, and, uh, and, you know, here's the reality. Um, you will get what you don't pay for when it comes to public health. So, you know, a good example is what happened with COVID. I mean, for decades, um, people have been saying, epidemiologists and others have been saying, look, you know, yes, we are due to see another pandemic, uh, possibly like the, the 1918 flu. Now, it's not 1918. It's quite a bit different. It's a century later. But um, what people have been saying for the last at least two to three decades has been, hey, we're not prepared for this. We, you know, we really haven't invested the kind of thing. In fact, we've done exactly the opposite. We've disinvested in public health. So CDC right now, for example, uh, uh, notes that so much uh, disinvestment in public health has happened that um, the workforce in public health has shrunk by more than 50,000 positions nationwide. And they even will go further than that. And they will say that right now we need to hire a minimum of 80,000 more full-time equivalents in state and local government alone. And that's an increase of 80% to provide the infrastructure and also the minimum public health services to the nation, let alone trying to go way upstream and deal with some of the challenges that uh, really do have an impact on human thriving in this country. That's really a sad, sad figure, yeah. Uh, yeah. all of those. And uh, I would say that if there's been a real issue, um, one of the questions I think that comes to my mind is the problem of a short-sightedness, if you will, with respect to long-term investment in those things that will help to assure the health and well-being in the future. Now, I'm not saying that um, 
you know, uh, we we could have stopped COVID in its tracks or anything like that if only we had been properly prepared. Um, but I will say that we could have done a way better job against that virus early on than we uh, actually I agree. Now, do you blame public health or do you, uh, you, you blame people or what it is? And I would say I blame in part, major part, the inability of uh, this country and many others, we're not the only uh, ones to blame here, of really not being able to think in the long term. You know, uh, uh, I think it was uh, a former president of the World Bank made the point that the cycle of public health funding is panic, neglect, repeat. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and actually, even in the past week, we saw another evidence of that in our own country. You know, the, uh, the, uh, uh, when the um, recent act was um, being put together and passed, uh, they dropped the additional uh, $15 billion, I think, for COVID funding. Yeah. Well, my gosh, I mean, I that's a perfect example of that kind of short-sighted thinking. It's like, oh, yeah, well, Omicron, yeah, we can live with that now. Things are fine. And suddenly we're not spending it. And, of course, right now, if you've been reading the news media as we speak, uh, you know, people are quite worried about what's happening in the People's Republic of China uh, people are quite worried about what's happening in in Europe right now with the rise of the uh, of the so-called stealth Omicron variant. Uh, this is this is like I mean, <laughs> when will we learn this particular lesson? So again, I come back to this whole issue of really communicating the urgency, the need for these kinds of things. And I do recognize, by the way, Stan, and you might want to address a little bit of this, but this is why public health has to involve uh, all of the nation and world's systems, NGOs, universities, media, private sector, and so forth, because you know those of, of you that work in the area of government public health do have restrictions on some of the things that you, yeah. uh, others, can do to influence the public policy process? You know, um, I really think, kind of tagging on to what you're, you're saying here, John, is I really believe that we need to establish a new common denominator of knowledge around health because it's become very, very complicated with all the different health-related things that we deal with on a daily basis. If we could do that, not only, you know, at a state level, at a national level, at an international level, then I think we'll get somewhere. The other thing is, is that we have to get away from being uh, reactionary on everything health related. If we become more proactive, which is actually what we've been touting for God knows how many years, um, I think we will we'll get somewhere. I do think that this country for sure is at that point perhaps of a wake-up call. And, you know, maybe COVID, you know, the silver lining and all of that will be that we've learned and hopefully have have learned. But we do we do see things from time to time being compromised. 
You know what I'd love to do here, you know, Clarence, is maybe get some in, insight from, from um, you know, Matthew or Aaron, Maddie. Anything. Same thing I was thinking, Stan. Same I mean, thing you I was guys, thinking. I mean, yeah. you know, here we are. We're you know we we've been in 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 this field. We we have owned it well these years, but um, we're going to be passing the baton on to you know talented people like you. So um, just. Where where are you at? Where's your head at with this going forward? Any questions that you have? Because I, I was I was actually trying to write in the chat, like, hey, you have any questions? So uh, here's a chance. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts about public health? Aaron's getting ready to go. Go ahead, Aaron. I see you. Go oh, ahead. Too. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just going to say I... Um, really resonate with uh dean finnegan what you just said about sort of um in stan about um the frustration of like when will we learn that lesson and it's interesting because i haven't even been in the public health field for nearly as long as the three of you have and i still can resonate with that frustration and see it in the history of um responding to you know public health crises and it's just um, you know, it's frustrating that it's like, oh, it's going to take a, a pandemic for us to realize and maybe not even then for us to realize how like chronically underfunded public health is as a field. And so, um, Stan, I am hopeful that um, it is a it is a wake up call, but I tend to have um, more of a pessimistic view. So um, I, I hope that it is. But um, but I guess I guess only time will tell. Yeah, I I uh, I really do believe that um, this whole issue of communication is really absolutely critical to this. And I come out of a mass media background. I was an, a, a journalist uh, back in the uh, analog days, so so the pre nineteen and. Um, you know, we used to talk, uh, there's a whole frame of reference about how does one go about building the public agenda for change? And there's a whole variety of different ways of doing that. The media actually play a major role. Absolutely. In the analog days, we would talk about, you know, the media don't tell you what to think, but they do have a big impact on framing the things you need to think about. Well, I, th I think that's a little simplified in some ways. Um, back then, uh, we didn't have social media. And uh, so, you know, everything that's happened uh, since the emergence of the first uh, uh, web browser, I think around 1993, if you will, I mean, that for me was like last week, you know. <laughs> so uh, uh, for some of you, it may seem a longer time ago. But I, I think... Um, the uh, the challenge that we found, um, we I think we, we in public health were shocked by the level of partisanship, which actually turned things like getting a vaccine and and wearing a mask and trying to do something to help keep your fellow citizens safe, that somehow this became uh, you know an attack on freedom and and blah blah blah. Well, clearly some things have changed among a substantial portion of the population. I don't think it's the majority of the population, but it's a very noisy, uh, loud part of the population. 
And, uh, and we really kind of missed that in public health in terms of education. I think the other thing is that we didn't encounter um, the whole idea that there would be actors out there who are bent on creating chaos and disinformation <laughs> on purpose. They know what the truth is, but their goal is to sow the seeds of discord and separation and so forth. And I think those of us in public health, and we tend to be you know, fairly altruistic orientation and I think fairly trusting, we're rather shocked by the amount of, of blowback that we got in these things. Um, so I think in going forward, um, a critical part of what public health is really going to have to do collectively, and it's not just in this country, it's all over the world, I, I know from talking with colleagues in other parts of the world, uh, it's how are we going to do this um, uh, going forward? And um, I, um, I think some of you may have seen the uh, report that came out, getting to and sustaining the next normal, a roadmap for living with COVID. And the whole right. concept is really, you know, okay, uh, COVID moves from pandemic to endemic. How are we going to live with it uh, going forward? It's not going to go away. It's, and as Mike Osterholm frequently says, it's not done with us yet. Um, well, one of the things I think that emerges out of that is this issue of communication and this issue of uh, collective institutions, public, private sector institutions really coming together. And um, we've got to learn how to use social media to play against those that would sow disinformation and and uh and um and of course we have an issue of misinformation as well people aren't spreading it with the intent of creating uh, uh chaos but in fact do and uh, so that's something that i think really needs um, to be looked at interestingly enough over the last uh six seven eight years or so in public health we finally got communication on the agenda as a critical part of competencies that people in public health need to know if you're going to be a professional practitioner you got to understand the basics. absolutely and uh, as i say i think those of us that are a little older came out of the analog world uh, are still reeling because we don't really understand what the total change and impact has been of, of social media, but it's in your face with COVID. And in some respects, uh, it's in your face with structural racism affecting uh, so many communities. And in, in fact, affecting all of us. That's the thing about structural racism. We haven't made the point to people to understand that when we have structural racism, it hurts Everyone, everyone. You know, um, when I when I think about things today, and and how we go about doing things today, in many ways, it's um, you know we can make judgments. We that have been in the public health field, we could say it's wrong. You know, it could based on our experience and everything. I've gotten away from that altogether. And I just say it's different. You have better tools today. You have faster tools. You have perhaps more creative and better communication tools. So address the same issues, but now with different tools. And perhaps, and hopefully, and truly hopefully, 
we will be um, more successful for everyone, for for all of us. And I think that that'll that'll be the the key. Um, we're just about a time here. One thing I do want to remind everybody about is April fourth through the tenth is Public Health Week. So this is a certainly maybe this year more than any that we've seen in the past we have an opportunity here just even in a short period of time a week's time to get some good things out there about what public health is what it should do and what it can help us accomplish as just human beings going forward clarence yeah i know that time is getting short here but i want to i want to really uh have Dr. Finnegan uh, answer uh, Aaron's question. Do you think we should be implementing or um, uh, introducing public health into junior high schools and high schoolers? Oh, gosh, yes. Um, and I'll tell you, I know that the school of public health is already doing that. And so uh, one of the things that uh, we have going right now through our biostatistics unit, they are working with the St. Paul schools. Thank goodness they didn't go on strike. And um, they are uh, working uh, down into junior uh, high. And um, the, the focus is on uh, statistics. But what they've done is they've blended it with the mathematics and so forth that they're supposed to be learning at that point. But the advantage is, is that they get to see why this stuff is real and it makes a difference. So it's not math in the sort of an abstract fashion, but it's really, really getting down to sort of like, how is this stuff useful in society for understanding what's going on and for helping to think about solutions? Oh gosh, I wish I had something like that when I was at that at that particular age. You know, I didn't I didn't uh, stumble into public health until I was thirty years old. So, um, uh, and I think the more that we're able to get some of that basic knowledge um, uh, down there and begin introducing people to concepts like that, the better off. Epidemiology is a good example of that as well, because uh, um, I think if young people really understood the whole issue of risk, if they understood the issues of prevention and things like that, might make a difference as far as our uh, you know development is concerned. And, and um, maybe people, you'd, you'd see some some fewer bad things happening to people, especially when when they're uh, in their developmental years, you know. You know, we could health chat about this for a long, long time. And um, and I well, think we just, come back, Stan. <laughs> you know, we'd, like part, we'd love to have we, you back. We could have part two. Um, so so stay tuned, or we could bring in um, you know another colleague so that we could yep. have you know uh, kind of a round robin discussion on this because I do think that what has been what we've addressed today is um, vital, truly vital for the health of of all of us. So I want to thank John 
for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's nice to see you and see the smile. And I know that it's perhaps a different smile now that you're in a different <laughs> kind of, uh, of a role. It's a grandchildren's smile. I understand. Yeah. I just had one yeah. uh, <laughs> last week. I got three. We had two. <laughs> and uh, um, again, I want to thank our, our, um, our wonderful crew, Matthew and Aaron and Maddie, and um, a big hug goes out to my uh, my colleague and, and co-host for this show, uh, Clarence Jones. So until our next episode, keep health chatting away. Thank you.